The Boys on TV Podcast Industries, Season 1, Episode 3. Get some. My father was a bipolar. <sighs> One night when I was 10, he tried to smother me with a Hello Kitty duvet. Welcome back, boys and girls, to this episode of TV Podcast Industries, all about the boys, season one, episode three, get some. I am one of your hosts, John. I'm one of the other hosts, Derek. And rounding out the group, it is I, Petite Chris. <laughs> we Chrissy, if you prefer. But if you are joining for the first time, thank you. But you need to go back and watch two more episodes because there's so much there. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I think on to our spoiler-filled review of this episode of The Boys. Derek, what are some of the episode details for this episode, episode three? Well, the episode was written by George Masters. Um, this is the first of the episodes that he's written, but he has also written for Breaking Bad and wrote the pilot for the TV show Vinyl as well. So lots of great writing credits from George Masters. Uh, and a really good episode that he's done this time. No, definitely. I, I This is a good, good episode with many shocking twists, turns and sits, I think, uh, in this one. Mm-hmm, definitely. Lots of crazy stuff going on this episode. The episode was directed by Philip Scritia. Uh, he's directed 45 episodes of Supernatural over the years, probably where he met Eric Kripke, um, who is the showrunner for this show, the, the main writer on the show. Um, he also worked on superhero shows like Lois and Clark and Smallville. So lots of Superman uh, being taken over to Homelander, possibly in the direction for this show. Yeah, interesting. Certainly jobs for the boys, I think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you know when he was writing Lois and Clark and Smallville, he secretly wanted to write the scene in the office block with Homelander and Queen Maeve, but just couldn't. So he's been holding that wood scene in for years. Yes, absolutely. I'm sure he wanted to direct something like that as well, have that big, big battle moment in the office. Yeah, really good fun. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Yeah, sure. While the race of the century between A-Train and Shockwave to determine the world's fastest man hots up, Huey Campbell, Billy Butcher and Frenchie race against the clock to clean up the remains of Translucent before Homelander hones in on the missing superhero. With Translucent bagged and boxed in zinc, Butcher follows up on a lead from him and brings in another former colleague, Mother's Milk, to run surveillance on A-Train's girlfriend, Popclaw. Elsewhere, Starlight's popularity soars as talk of her off-script heroic crime-fighting deeds spreads. But as Seth and Evan from marketing get involved, Starlight finds that with great marketing promotion comes great sacrifice of her principles, <laughs> as she is forced by Madeline Stilwell into an uncomfortable position with an all-new, skimpier superhero costume. As surveillance gets off the ground at Popclaw's apartment, they learn of Compound V, a performance-enhancing substance used by A-Train, and a new hypercharged sexual position from Popclaw that will literally blow your mind. As all is caught on camera, Butcher uses this opportunity to blackmail Popclaw as an informant. Back at Vault International HQ, the zinc box found by a friendly neighbourhood beach porpoise contains a message to the Seven that someone, somewhere, is coming for you. 
Nice. That's an excellent synopsis for this episode. John. Lots of really interesting stuff going on. Uh, if you haven't joined us for the first two episodes, I'm sure you have at this stage. Uh, we have changed up our style for these episodes. We're doing our top three points each, effectively, uh, under the banners of protagonist moment, which is our boys moment, the seven, which is our antagonist moment, and any other outstanding moment from the episode. How are you guys finding the new format for these episodes? I'm loving it. Yeah. Uh, I'm enjoying it. It, it. it gives us a chance to, when sometimes we were crossing over a few of the, our kind of points, this allows us to jump in with just, yeah, this is, this, we both doubled down on this as one of the best moments. Excellent. Yeah, no, really enjoying it. Yeah. Excellent. Something new. I think I'm going to hop in with my protagonist moment since my one takes place right at the beginning of the episode. Uh, my first moment is Huey's soup related meltdown. Um, the episode begins really directly after the last episode ended with Huey kind of washing bits of translucent off his body. Uh, I kind of love the reaction of the other two guys here of Billy and Frenchie in the room with them as he sees these pieces of brain fall out of his hair as he's washing off his hair um, because they're really treating him with kid gloves. I love that they're having this conversation behind them where it's like, no, don't you worry about it. We'll take care of it. You just have a little sit down there. We've already gotten rid of the uh, the tracing um, beacon that's on translucent. We'll take care of everything else. We'll wash it all down and you know something's going wrong. And then Huey says to them that he just wants to go home and get a change of clothes and you see the reaction of Billy changed completely to him, kind of going... Okay, you need to take a breath. And Frenchie instantly jumps in as well, saying, you know, maybe you're having a little bit of a problem here because do you not realize we've just killed one of the world's famous superheroes? I think uh, Billy describes it as you've just arse-bombed America's sweetheart. You can't just leave right now. (laughs) So they're all a bit concerned about Huey, and I love how it's playing out here. But it does lead into Billy going home to his house and having a bit of a freak out there as well. Yeah, no, this uh, sort of is kind of one of my points as well mm-hmm. is uh, that Huey smashes all his superhero merch. I, I really, um, I think what really drew me to this was the, the violin music, you know, it's really paired back, really stripped back. Um, and he, it's that realization that all he's got is, uh, Vault International seven, the seven merchandise all around his apartment and mm-hmm. starts breaking it up. Um, and I, I think what's really interesting here is, that, you know, whatever about all the, the merchandise, uh, he smashes that f- framed photograph of him and, and Robin, you know, sort of, uh, friendly fire, as it were. It wasn't one of the things that was supposed to be smashed, but in his rage after the whole translucent thing, and then sort of that realization of all, probably the money he's spent, uh, all the time he's devoted, um, all the superhero worship he's done, you know, he, he goes about smashing up his, his bedroom and yeah. all this, uh, merchandise. I think as well, um, you know, it, it, it follows on, you know, he's still hurt and th- this was this moment and it connects into another moment that he has with mother's milk later on where, you know, he's blown up translucent and this whole reaction that he has in his room and they're going, you know, it, is he realizing that he still has this hurt or vengeance and that maybe killing all these superheroes isn't going to make him feel better in any way? You know, he has a fight with his dad, yeah. uh, all of this kind of stuff. Um, and, and then he has that conversation with, with mother's milk, um, you know, about everything comes with a price, you know, in that moment, no matter sort of, how um messed up everything was um he goes 
you know, hitting the trigger on the detonator to kill Translucent, it felt good. Whatever the price, I'll pay it, mm-hmm. says Huey Campbell. Uh, and I thought that was a nice juxtaposition because this was a moment where I thought, you know, does this, is this where he realizes in his bedroom destroying the Merc that it's never going to get better unless he actually sort of looks up and, and confronts, uh, what happened to Robin. And then, effectively that violence doesn't make it any better but then you have this moment where actually it did make him feel better it met it made him feel good and he will pay that price whatever that price is which now makes me really um sort of concerned for uh his father who is now left uh because you know who else is would come into the crosshairs of the seven if they get whiff that it's Huey Campbell. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. So I, I really like this whole moment um of him smashing up the superhero uh merchandise. And certainly obviously it, it comes in with Mother's Milk, who's one of the new members of um the the boys as yeah, well, being so- brought in by by Billy Butcher. Yeah, I think what I like really about this, and this is why it's my my moment as well, really, is just because it's that moment of realization of putting all your faith in that celebrity, whatever that celebrity is, and this in this universe is all about the soups and how important they are to the world, you know. But it absolutely relates to actors and to to singers and to any type of celebrity at all that if you put their your faith in them that they are just doing the right thing and they're there to be worshipped then it's very likely that you may be ignoring something that's going on behind the scenes and what we see here is Huey is like the biggest comic book and super nerd fan that's out there his entire room is filled full of posters of all of the seven he's got like little pops little vinyl pops of each of the characters you know it's kind of like finding out that chris hemsworth who plays thor is an a-hole which he isn't he's a lovely guy i'm sure but it's like finding that out and suddenly destroying all of your posters of all of the avengers that's that's this moment that he's going through now you know so it's kind of interesting seeing that that kind of take on on this world yeah i I also think that huey is going through those kind of seven stages of grief dude so it's like grief anger resent was it reconciliation I, I can't remember them all but you can see him going through these individual steps mm-hmm. and this is very much the anger moment um it, it's interesting to see one thing i will I do is give a massive shout out to the prop department mm-hmm. um in this for this episode in particular just the amount of detail they created so when he does destroy all his mark stuff um in the last episode the homelander glass mm-hmm. Uh, like, again, I'm, I'm calling out some of the stuff that was in the x-ray mm-hmm. piece because they talk about how it's, like, they went and created all this. They went and got comic book artists who have done famous comic book, uh, front covers to redraw some of those with the, the, with the heroes from this universe, the boys universe. Yeah, it's the artist from the actual boys comic book, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so they've really gone above and beyond to do this. Yeah. Um, I, I'm fully expecting an Alex Ross type cover in there of Homelander or something. Maybe, maybe. Um, like, uh, hopefully. But I think, I think it's really cool that it's the actual artist from the boys that got to do these covers and these posters as well. And that's a really good idea. I did like just that little touch to go back again about the x-ray stuff. It's all from the IMDb trivia that's being added to the Amazon uh, shows effectively. But I do like the comment that they make where, this is all created for the show. It's not available to buy just yet. So they, they are also oh, internally promoting all this stuff. So if you want to get your hands <laughs> on a on an A-Train pop, all you need to do is just go onto their website and tell them that you want to see one. So. <laughs> 
Yeah, and so I, I, I really, you start to feel for Huey in this because he goes through a roller coaster throughout this uh, this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, the grief, the anger, the 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 the, the acceptance yeah. that bad things need to happen for things to move forward. He really does go through a lot of emotions. You really feel for him on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Just one thing I wanted to say about the fight with his dad. I just think it's really interesting because the fight with his dad is completely misplaced. His dad has been really worried about him. And I love that this argument just blows up because he's just angry at everything and wants to take it out on somebody. He takes it out on his dad and goes, what did you think? I actually liked sitting on the couch like we were about to die just watching television all the time. I don't even like those pizza bits that you make me eat all the time. Um and then immediately afterwards, as he's leaving the house, he turns around to his dad and goes, I'm sorry, and leaves. <laughs> Just, I think it's a really interesting fight. It's a real father and son fight. I remember having these fights with my dad all the time when I was in my teenage years, having these fights where you have this proper argument and then go... Actually, none of that made sense. I just was a little bit angry and you were right there in my, in my line of sight. And I also love that it ends with the line that we used at the beginning of the episode, Frenchie also missing the point completely. Cause these are boys dealing with each other effectively, all of them. Frenchie completely misses the point and goes, Oh, sorry, mate. My dad was also bipolar and he tried to kill me with a, with a, a, Hello Kitty duvet when I was a kid. It has nothing <laughs> to do with that at all. It has nothing to do with the argument with his dad. It's about the fact that his girlfriend was run over by a train. Um, it's nothing to do with anything, but I love the Frenchie tries to comfort him with a story that means nothing and is also slightly crazy. <laughs> so a really good scene overall. Yeah. And it's great to see Simon Pegg back. Yeah. Like, I, I can every episode just bring him back for me. I just, just even if it's cameos. So even if, if we do get the seven going after him, I want to be, see that scene because <laughs> I want to see Simon Pegg more. Yeah. I think one last thing for me is that, that conversation that Huey has with uh, Mother's Milk, of which I'm still not entirely sure why he's called that. I'm expecting, uh, sort of a trick show at some point, but, uh, Certainly given, uh, the, the series so far, but I think, um, you know, when he talks about everything coming at a price, um, I, I like the way that Mother's Milk goes just like A Train because we've seen this compound V mm-hmm. and he's saying, you know, he's hooked on compound V and actually Robin was that price, um, in a sense. Maybe yeah. because he, he's so, sort of whacked out he doesn't know what he's doing and i i really enjoyed the fact that mother's milk made that connection that everything comes with a price you know so yes here it felt good and then but it's just like a train you know things come at a price for him of which steamrollering into uh innocent people uh, stood by the curb is one of them. Yeah. I, and I like that. And, and here he goes, whatever the price, I'll pay it. So I think this is a real sort of change for Huey. And mm-hmm. um, as I say, you, I just kind of thought it was that, like you were talking about, Chris, the seven stages of grief, but I'm just wondering, is it more now? Okay. The, these guys need to go, uh, full on. Uh, you know, he's kind of totally under, the the banner of the Bible of Billy Butcher. Yeah, yeah. You know, very possible. Um, so I, I thought that was really interesting. Um I did also quite like uh uh Mother's Milk's uh description of the uh the team that Billy Butcher had brought together. He goes a French whore and Stephen Hawking. No, that that was a really cool moment. For me, I'm gonna talk about my moment, which is Huey and Starlight. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about Huey's meltdown and we talked about his anger. Um, but he actually gets a nice 
arc as well that he gets a bit of happiness because he re-sees Starlight. Mm-hmm. He, he sees Annie again and that there is life beyond Robin. Um, so for me, this was nice. It now I will call out because I know a couple of purists, um, already who are watching through the show are like, Oh my God, they're, they're changing the story. Of course they're changing the story. Um, so there is a differing and divergence from what happens in the comic book between these two characters. Uh, I'm okay with this so far. I think it's really good and well done. And I, I'm interested to see how they're going to do it. Um, and the reason the, the biggest divergence is, and I'm just going to call it because I don't want to get too much into the comic book story. The divergence is the boys don't find out uh, who Annie is mm-hmm. and who Starlight is and and that they're together until way later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So by the end of this episode, we have Butcher turning around going, you know Starlight. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the biggest differences. It seems to be a big change in the TV and movie universe of, of superheroes recently that this idea of being able to keep the secret of your identity seems like almost an impossibility. Uh, Marvel don't do it at all. Marvel did away with the whole idea of secret identities in all of their movies over the last couple of years. DC seem to keep the idea, but they haven't uh, really had any movies quite recently. So, um, <laughs> so it seems like this whole idea of what comic books have always done, this idea of hiding the secret identity is kind of out the window a little bit. So it's quite interesting that they've taken this on board in the boys and, and had that moment where effectively not only is, is her secret identity revealed, Huey is in a stadium packed full of journalists shouting out, Annie, Annie, is that you, Annie? When her secret identity hasn't been revealed, but I think it was revealed by that that video of her beating up the guys, wasn't it? Was that the reveal of of who she was? Yes. She revealed us the world that way. So I think that's the difference in the in the TV show. So the thing is, I think where they're going for, and a lot of this identity thing, which started with Iron Man one, I am Iron Man, um, is that in a world of social media of in total connectedness, uh, and see Rani, when you do something in your civilian alter ego. All it takes is someone to see the photo of your face and go, I know that person. Mm-hmm. Um, and they know who it is. So yeah, they are doing away with it. I do like how they do it in this one because she does do her secret identity. It gets destroyed to a degree, but also what we get is the scene in the hallway and then just upstairs from the hallway where they just have a nice conversation. And they exchange numbers and it's, it, it's Annie looking for the nice people. Yeah. Like the, that she needs someone who's good. Then we have them exchanging numbers. So I'm hoping that they will run this plot further. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's going to definitely be an interesting, um, piece. But yeah, so that was kind of my, my boy's moment yeah. in this, which is Huey and Starlight and the budding relationship, potentially. I have to say, I also love the fact that as Huey is calling out Annie's name, she opens the door to the locker room and you see Frenchie just hanging out of a rope <laughs> coming in to yeah. try and break in and steal the stuff from Atrium. I think that's absolutely yeah. hilarious that that kind of stop And he just stops in midair, like can't go up, can't go down, waiting for the door to close so he can get on with his job. <laughs> that's really good fun. <laughs> 
That's a that's a play on Mission Impossible, right? I think so. I think yeah, so. Pink yeah, Pink Panther. It feels like the Pink Panther something. as well. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Uh, I really liked that it's kind of not only the gang, but also now Huey knows that he knows Starlight. Uh, I like the the kind of double shocker there of these two. And I presume then that yeah, a bond probably does form between Huey and Starlight. I think so, yeah. But then at the same time, I think just going back to his whatever the price is... Could Starlight also now just be something to transact uh, in order to to get his revenge on Robin? So, I mean, don't tell me because I've not read the comics. So this is, uh, it's one of those things where I'm kind of theorizing about, well, it looks like sweet wee Huey could, you know, form a new bond with Starlight, a superhero. But ultimately, um, you know, has it gone beyond that? I'm really interested to see that now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Really interested to see what way they're where they're going to play this in the show. So I think that all of our protagonists' boys' moments. So I think it's time to move on to the seven or our antagonist moments. Yeah, Derek, do you want to kick us off? Just one that I really enjoyed is just the whole idea again of having Homelander and Queen, Ma- Queen Maeve together. We haven't really not seen much of Queen Maeve in the first two episodes. Uh, Sora being a little bit abrasive in the first episode with um, Starlight uh, when she has gone through her moments thinking that she might have support from the other female member of the Seven. She got absolutely none. She's basically told to, to shut up and never show them the face of fear, never show them that you're afraid of them. And we kind of see why as we see these scenes between Homelander and Queen Maeve. Quickly, just to start it back with Homelander himself, he seems to be turning quite a bit on everybody in in the organization. He's turning on Stillwell quite early on in the episode, saying he's not going to read the talking coins. He's refusing to do anything for them. And then when he joins Queen Maeve, he's kind of talking about the fact that uh, Translucent has disappeared. Why isn't anybody worried about it? And she's being really honest with him, which I like that he calls that out, that this is the reason why he loves Maeve, because she's always honest with him. She says, if we're all standing here worried about Translucent disappearing, then the world knows he's disappeared and that would affect the brand. That would affect what we have as an organization going on. So uh, kind of an interesting take on things with them. They don't seem to have much milk of humanity, at least under the organization of Homelander. They don't seem to have this milk of human kindness that most people would have. Maybe we should go out and save our friend. Well, he's not really a friend. We might lose points and we might have more people attack us if they know they can get to us. So uh, quite an interesting kind of conversation between the two of them um but then we get to the shooter we get their moment in front of the the police so their audience where uh homelander talks to them as if you know they're the real heroes uh he says to all the cops you know don't worry i know we're taking care of this little bit of the operation but we know you're the guys that are really in charge here <laughs> then they get upstairs and they meet this shooter and homelander sticks his hand straight through his stomach and kills him right in front of queen mave and the reaction of mave tells you that she's seen this hundreds of times um once again we have this really strange perversion of this character of homelander who feels ultra powerful he talks about um the other characters he talks about uh stillwell and he talks about uh, the other people on the top floor of the organization saying they're just human why do we follow their orders you know this seems like this character is going to go crazy and who the hell is going to be able to stop him like he has some proper superpowers. Yeah, no, I thought that was a really interesting point there where he questions taking the orders from Stillwell with her mewling baby mm-hmm. and Edgar, who, you know, he's x-rayed and he's basically close to a coronary. Yeah, well, blood-like tar or something mm-hmm. like that. So I thought that was really nice. And just the idea that, yeah, they used to date uh, and he's asking, why did we ever 
break up. And the look on Queen Maeve's face really does kind of say it all in that I know exactly why I uh, broke up with you, but I'm not going to tell you that, even though he's just said you're the only one that's honest with me. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah, and then we get that continuation of that scene um at A-Train's uh, Big Race, where he grabs her hand. Yeah, yeah. And forces her to make it look like that they're kind of getting together. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is definitely, like, I think that she's like, oh, well, I control the narrative. And it makes it look like that. There's, and he was like, smile. Yeah. And uh, you hear the people in the crowd shout and kiss her. You know, it, it's like as if yeah. it feels like they did go out in public and still well maybe negotiated for them to break up is what it feels like, that they made some kind of arrangement. So he has that conversation where they're saying, I don't know why you broke up. And I could never possibly accept you with anybody else. And as Maeve walks off, she looks a little bit more resolute here than she did earlier on when he said to her, you know, we should get back together. This is why I've always loved you. She looked a bit distraught in that moment. This time she seems a bit more resolute. It seems like she is turning on him as well, thinking that she may be put back into the situation she was in before when they were in a relationship. So uh, some really interesting stuff going on between those two characters. It's kind of, you know, it's the Wonder Woman Superman uh, ID, I suppose, their version in the boys. Um, so it's interesting to see what will happen between those two in the future. Yeah. And that was, I, I take it as it's the continuation of like the DC's New 52, where in that Superman and Wonder Woman were together right. for a long period of time. And they kind of, there was reasons why they couldn't stay together. So I like thinking of this as the, the dark timeline of that, the right. dark multiverse version. Where there's more reasons and you don't want to know the reasons. That'd be so interesting if DC took the idea of New 52 from the boys. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that is art ri- ripping other, other art off and ripping it from other art. That's really cool. Uh, John, do you want to tell us your, uh, your antagonist moment for the episode? Yeah, I don't really know whether Starlight should or whether she uh, should remain in the antagonist, but as she's part of the seven, uh, I think she uh, she's my uh, pick for the antagonist, but pretty much suck it up, suck it in Starlight because she's forced to squeeze into her new costume oh. by uh, Madeline Stilwell. Uh, I, I really enjoyed um, seeing this because I, I thought it was one of those moments where... Uh, it really shone a light onto that idea of popularity principles uh, and uh, publicity. And mm-hmm. I, I thought, um, you know, in the last episode, she was effectively being hounded. She thinks she's going to lose her job because she's done this sort of, you know, off script crime fight in, in preventing the date rape. But then this causes massive amount of upsurge in her popularity because the girl has come forward and, and kind of corroborated Starlight's story. And all of a sudden, it's all fine and dandy. Yeah. Uh, and you've suddenly got Seth and Evan coming in from marketing to absolutely uh, promote and, and capitalize on effectively a, a really heroic deed, but around a really um sort of touchy subject and a really kind of um sensitive one um but they're trying to make the money and um i thought this was really really interesting because then as well she almost gets fired because she won't do as she's being asked to do from a corporate point of view which is squeeze into this revealing skimpy new costume which she quite frankly doesn't want to do um but on the flip side of that like many you know it's really good um kind of 
uh, tale, I think, or, or maybe what a lot of people have done, but given the threat from Stillwell, which is, um, well, you don't have to wear it, but if you don't wear it, you will not be wearing it, not part of the seven. Yeah. Uh, effectively, you're kind of demoted or fired. Um, and so she ends up squeezing into this new costume that she really doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I thought this was a really just great scene, another great scene, giving some really um, uh, sort of important themes, really sort of uh, current themes. But, you know, there's it, it, it's wrapped up with a with comedy and um, a really nice deft touch of language and writing. So for me, this was a great little moment, actually, uh, which I really, really enjoyed. Yeah, and then it becomes it, it gets called in later again at A Train's race, yeah. where the little girl says, "I I preferred your old costume," and Starlight goes, "So do I." But then you have the the leering fans, mm. like who say. Not so a very sexist and the 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 an upped version of a catcall, which again plays to a theme in comic books that's gone around for years, which is scantily clad uh, feminine heroes. Why do they need to be that that way? Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. Always, it's always been such an awful thing in comic books where you have like Superman standing in a pose saying he's saving the world, and then right beside him you have Wonder Woman, who's as powerful as Superman standing in an outfit that basically looks like she's just come from the beach, you know? Never understood it, but it's always been the way of comic books. There's always been this thing about them that has to be focused on that. I do love the scene, though. One of the things I really like about the scene is that it is three women talking to each other, mostly. You have you have Evan and you have Seth, who are the, the PR guys who are being told that they need to come up with the concept, but their concept is being brought about because... This whole team, the PR team and the team that, that designed the costume have said that this is the way they want to go with the character of Starlight. And Starlight doesn't believe she's a character. She believes she came to them with this whole concept and she can live her life this way. What I, what I find so interesting about it is they told her that she would be fired for fighting these guys that were trying to rape a girl. She's not fired. She's become even more popular. So the PR people have this whole thing wrong, and now they're getting it wrong again. And yeah, she's exactly. trying to fight with them. It, it's it, such a good, such a well-written scene with so so many great insights into how these things go down the bad path if you allow if you allow yourself to go along with. Them. But but it, it's not only a good scene; it's a great crossover from episode two and ep- and then in this episode because it's bookended with both situations where she could be fired. Yeah. Um. And that's the real great writing here, mm-hmm. and I think, and great source material, and it's just done so so well. I think here, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I I think you're right. It's um, it's also just that fact that it is three women having this conversation as well, mm-hmm. um, and the men are effectively enacting their wishes. So it, it, it's a superb kind of commentary, I think. Yeah. Uh, and, and just really nicely done within the whole um, sort of comic book superhero theme. It's like you say, you know, the women are, have been hyper-sexualized in, in comics, and the men almost in skin tight stuff are completely uh desexualized mm-hmm. because I tell you what, there's certainly no things poking through in that spandex um when mm-hmm. when you see it. So it's really interesting. Um so yeah, that's my antagonist moment. So speaking of hypersexualized, 
Um, who fancies <laughs> some watermelon? <laughs> I really don't know what I'll think now, uh, sort of spitting out the watermelon seeds from my mouth. I'll think it's bits of skull or something like that. Exactly. But this is my antagonist moment. Of course, the watermelon scene with Popclaw, who is the, uh, the hidden girlfriend or, um, bit on the side for a train mm-hmm. we're introduced to in this uh popclaw is in the comic books um she's a member of a b team um but so they've changed the character slightly on this where she is a, a tv sh- she's a superhero but she was in a tv show um so kind of zedless c-list celebrity um and she's low on her rent and everything like that and we see throughout this episode we learn about Compound V, which we'll get to in a second, mm-hmm. but she is, she does take it. And the reason I enjoyed this part is not the, the not the face sitting. The, it's the <laughs> piece that was done in the comic books, which is what happens when hyper powerful, super strong people have sexual intercourse with normal human beings. Mm-hmm. You kill them. And that's touched on a lot in the comic books. And I was trying to figure how much they'll go into. Yeah. And this is a fun part. Like, this is, like, I say fun, excuse me. This is an interesting piece because it, it helps with the story beat. It gets us from point A to point B. We get mm-hmm. to know more about Compound V. But it's it's that thing that nerds and geeks and all of us have always discussed, which is what would happen if Superman um had special hug with Lois Lane. He it's talked about in Morat. He'd blow a hole in her stomach. It's that funny part which we've always discussed and this is what why I love this show. Which is you get a watermelon scene. Um anyway, sorry, that was my kind of very enthusiastic why I enjoy this. But it's just what did you guys think? Because for me it was just hilariously done. It was very funny. I mean, I have to say, I was just like, OMG. I was like, I could not believe that they were committing that to film. And it wasn't in some darkened cellar sort of establishment where you would probably watch it. It was kind of like, it was just really, um, I was like, wow. Okay. I mean, my thoughts were also with, um, Mr. Lutz, poor Alexi Lutz getting, um, the, Sort of the, the not so good bargain out of, uh, that position, really. Um, or not that he expected anyway. Um, I thought it was like really well done. Um, and I like the fact that then, you know, immediately Billy Butcher, uh, is the capitalizing, uh, on, on the, the, the event and the fact that it's all just being caught on camera. Cause I'm right to say she's a movie actress as well. Like she uses her, um, superhero to uh, as a movie act- actress but is it well uh, they're the kind of movies that you'd probably see in the dirty yeah, basement yeah that's what i was gonna yeah. say yeah so it, it, she a, is an a, x rated a triple x movie star um I, I think she's she's a super heroine who has fallen on hard times and is using her personality in soft core i would say would be the way yes. that she described yeah. it but she does she does talk about the third film in the franchise and said it's really happy how that came together um so i think there may yeah. be some illicit moments in no, there probably just, quite soft yeah just yeah. double checking certainly um, not as hard certainly not hard enough to crush your head like a watermelon no but uh, you know so i was kind of like 
Wow. Okay. And I think it is. It's really good that they're, they're taking again the source material and going with it. I really like how Billy Butcher, you know, capitalizes on this, uh, certainly more so than uh, Seth and Evan from marketing. I, I think as well. Billy Butcher talks about this sacrifice in that Huey can see what's about to happen and wants to go and save yeah, yeah. Uh, Alexei Lutz. Um, and it's like, no, you're not going to get across the road and up 10 flights of stairs in four seconds. You're not a super that some people mm-hmm. are going to die effectively like Robin. Uh, you know, so you have to win the battles that you can, yeah. like the C4 uh, up uh, translucent so it's kind of like win the battles when you can so I, I really like this that you know it wasn't in that sense gratuitous i suppose mm-hmm. you know there was a point to it in the story absolutely. but uh yeah wow crushed head yeah absolutely but i think billy even makes the point that if huey had made it to the apartment not only would he not be able to do anything about it he would have lost his head because she's so hopped up on compound v that she's also violent and aggressive that's what happens here effectively so that she could have just ripped off his head with those awesome wolverine like claws that come out of her her wrist that's such a cool thing i didn't know why she was being called popclaw throughout the episode and then we see her using them to ground herself in the ground uh, during this scene it's quite, quite an interesting uh, idea moving on to interesting ideas mm-hmm. we learn a bit more about compound v yes we oh. learn it's some form of performance enhancing um jug essentially mm-hmm. it, it, it's a train takes it and allows him to go faster popclaw takes it and she's able to we get that fantastic scene where they're in the the van and they're watching her literally bench press a truck worth of weights mm-hmm. um, <laughs> for over an we, hour as well <laughs> yeah Maybe um, I could lift up one of those uh, before my arms broke, but but not bench press them for an hour. This is like a woman who has some serious power to get rid of. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it feels like they they lose control completely with the, when the stroke is in their body. You know, we see a train completely hopped up on it, but he has a particular goal, which is to get from this starting line to the end line when he takes that that uh, compound V. So. Potentially, that's what releases all of the the chemical buildup that's within his body, whereas she takes it sitting on the couch just after being told effectively that he is not going to announce her as girlfriend. Not only is he not going to announce Popclaw as her as his girlfriend, he's going to tell the girls of the world that a train's open for business. If you if you have any proposals, send them my way. So um, no wonder it has this kind of effect on her because she's completely thrown off edge. Her whole life is kind of crumbling around her. We hear her having the conversation with A-Train after effectively spilling the beans to the cameras that A-Train was hopped up on Campan V when he ran through Robin. She tells uh, she tells him all that and then says that she's been preparing for the next day for this reveal to the world that, that she is a super girlfriend, effectively. Um, she'd been preparing for months for this and she's being told that that's not going to happen. So everything's kind of crumbling around her. You know, it's not just the monetary side of things that she's, that she doesn't have the money to pay her rent. It's also everything with her relationship that's crumbling as well. So, uh, so no wonder the compound V has a particular effect, I think. So that's it, actually. Like with Compound V at the moment, I'm there going, okay, it's just performance enhancing, i.e., you know, A Train has his superhero speed. Mm. He's a speedster in the same way that Homelander's got his, his x-ray vision and his laser eyes and all that. Yeah. Um, and it just enhances what exactly. they already have. Uh, but originally I was thinking, is this the stuff that effectively makes them super? And right. I, because I was thinking it was somehow going to be 
connected in or you know they would inject it into Mallory's baby uh, so that ultimately she would have a soup at some point okay uh, it would sort of bring out the um the superhero powers uh, like you know almost like a a, a dormant gene almost like an, an x-men type thing where but this sort of just activates the gene that makes them super mm-hmm. but i suppose it is ultimately from what i can see at the moment is it is just an enhancer it's entirely possible there's something else but at the moment it looks like an enhancer yeah, yeah. i'm gonna plead the fifth in this one mm-hmm. uh because i know what it is in the comic books and i don't want to i, I don't want to leave anywhere one thing I, I do like is we get uh mother milk calling out he knows a fix kit when he sees one mm-hmm. um to so there is a highly addictive element that we can see on this absolutely that she was a junkie and she needs a fix kit yeah um so it's interesting to see that yeah absolutely yeah so so a fix kit is a drugs kit that's the red uh the red kit that she's got underneath the tv that he sees when he comes into the apartment um yeah i, I think i suppose with with every kind of performance enhancing drugs people get addicted to it and we do see that a train is also addicted to this you, you absolutely wonder the question is still there obviously like you always have in comic books you know who's faster the flash or superman well the flash on drugs is faster than superman right <laughs> you know and that's what's happening here so the question is still there is a train or shockwave the faster person a train can't take that chance because he would lose his position in the seven um which i just think is a really interesting concept so he's not only is he on drugs he's also now taking drugs to protect his position within the seven as well so that's quite quite a cool idea one thing I will quickly call out, which is from my notes bit, is that uh, Shawwave is a completely made-for-TV uh, character. Mm-hmm. So he was made for this show. It wasn't... Uh, it's not from anything. Yeah. Um, but I did read in a nice piece of kind of press that was done was that this whole um, speed kind of race was... Basically, you talked about it there, Superman versus the Flash. Yeah. They wanted to do that kind of race, and they, they've they talked about it before. I think it, it was Evan Goldberg and Seth who said they, they, they've they always wanted to do something like that. Absolutely. But this is the next best thing. Yeah, isn't it? Uh, that's how Justice League finishes, is the, the final race between Flash and Superman. So, And we never see who wins it. And there won't be a sequel to Justice League, unfortunately. So, <laughs> uh, so we won't get to see that, see that either. I also love as well, just quickly about the race, because we're not talking about it at any other points as far as I could see. Uh, I love that the race is on pay-per-view television for everybody to watch. And the race lasts about, what, a millisecond, doesn't it? To get yeah. the entire track. Oh, that's a great way to make some money on pay-per-view TV, because effectively the only way to watch it is in slow motion. So uh, pay-per-view TV is the only way you could possibly see it. <laughs> uh, let's get on to our other outstanding moments, guys. Yes. John, do you want to take it away? Yeah, I I mentioned about the Mallory files from the last episode Mm -hmm. with the CIA director. I think it was kind of quite nice that, um, you know, we got reference to them again. Um, And with with the introduction of Mother's Milk, he, he talks about some bad shit even before the the Mallory stuff came up uh, mm-hmm. between him and um and Frenchie you know that the this the, this whole thing of him getting back together with Billy Butcher and having to deal with Frenchie again which he doesn't someone he doesn't seem to uh, get on with at all that there was some really bad stuff that happened with the soups 
before uh, whatever the Mallory stuff is, and presumably within uh, the Mallory files. We also hear about Mallory's grandchildren as well, and whether, you know, something to do with them caused him to look into controlling soups and led to the the files that are linked to the CIA or something, mm. or whether it was ex-CIA or something like that. That um, So it was nice just to get that kind of uh, continuation of this, um, you know, mysterious Mallory uh, and his files, get a little bit more backstory on that. Also just now knowing of Mr. Edgar on floor 82, I think we've had very fleeting reference to him uh, at the top of Vought International Tower. Um, and, and that whole moment that you mentioned before, Derek, about him writing the notes personally that Homelander has to read out in order to kind of secure their involvement in the US military spending and defense program. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because as soon as he hears that, he picks up the notes again to, to learn and to, you know, to read when he needs to in front mm-hmm. of the right audience. Um, so, you know, you, you kind of sense this um, sort of distant power of Mr. Edgar. Uh, yet later on, as we've already mentioned, he talks about why do we take orders from these people? So, you know, is Mr. Edgar maybe as powerful as we think? I mean, obviously, as CEO of Vought International, yes. But in terms of with these soups, Maybe not. You know, yeah. I, I thought maybe he was the first superhero or something like that. He's kind of almost like this grand old wizard on right. floor 82 can wield magic or something. And so there's a kind of a deference to him from Homelander yeah. when he picks back up the notes. And so again, I, I'm really want to sort of peek uh, through the doors uh, of floor 82 and see what's up there. Absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, and, and how important he he is or maybe the first time we see him he just gets his neck snapped by homelander that actually it's a bit of a red herring who knows but um yeah i kind of uh i I like these kind of little things just still being sort of played around with by the characters through um through through the episodes Uh, it's it's just that nice little bit of intrigue but also development i think especially around the the this person mallory uh so i I certainly want to know more about him or her and and what's in those files for sure yeah and i am really intrigued about homelander at the moment i think he's on the cusp of falling over the edge and will he take mr egger down with him because it does feel like the way it's all being described everything that's going on is this massive corporation built on the backs of these seven superheroes particularly homelander who can basically see through anything crush anything go faster than anything fly further than anything and it's just that delicate balance of we sign your checks, you have to do what we say. Mm, I don't know how long that lasts. It, it's really uh, interesting, isn't it? Because one of the great things I really like about Homelander as well is that, you know, his, his outward appearance is to be perfect, to be that hero, mm-hmm. to be like God. Um, and I don't know whether he's always had it. I'll have to look back or whether I just noticed it particularly. But you really see the stubble on the character's face like Mm. it's not like um christopher reeve where you know the makeup is on so that it looks like he is this perfect look yeah um that there's almost a you know when the the camera zooms in close to him there is that raggedness and ruggedness of 
of a normal human. Yeah. Like, you know, he's not had time to shave. And I like that idea. Yeah, or he stayed up all night thinking and plotting. Yeah, or exactly. Something like that. Yeah, he definitely feels very disturbed, which is something I absolutely love about this performance. Um, my other outstanding moment of the episode really is the intro- introduction to Mother's Milk. We've talked about it quite a few times. Uh, I just like the opening intro. I love another character that effectively Billy's going to get help from. And once again, he's being told, will you just get out of my life? You ruined it already. <laughs> I love, uh, Billy asks how his wife is and she goes, well, she still spits at the floor every time she hears your name. So, so you're not doing this to me again. Uh, and the whole resolution to the, uh, problem between himself and Frenchie is his wife calls and he has a lovey dovey conversation on the phone until they all laugh at him. And then everything is water under the bridge. They're all, everybody's okay, it seems, for at least this mission. So I do like this character, Mother's Milk. Really looking forward to seeing more of the boys and looking forward to seeing more of this character. Um, Chris, do you want to give us your other outstanding moment for the episode? So for me, it was a zinc-lined chunk full of surprises. Mm. Um, I, I absolutely loved this scene, every part <laughs> of this scene. It opens with Madeline coming in, uh, we have Homelander. They're in their, the, the tower, the mm-hmm. seventh tower. They're, they're in that big boardroom and you have Homelander and the deep sitting there. Uh, and Madeline's like, what's going on? Uh, we have Homelander basically explain that, uh, a, a friend of the deeps, wait, wait, excuse me, <laughs> a porpoise, uh, found a, a, a chunk, uh, in the, the bottom of the harbor. And then you, it's just so dripping with kind of animosity. He was like, and, uh, oh, and deep, what's my, what's, what's the one thing I can't see through? Mm-hmm. Well, that would be zinc, says deep. And he goes, yes. And what's this box made of? Zinc. And then he goes, <laughs> what's in, and Madeline's like, what's inside? And you open it and you see, we find the body of the translucent. She goes, Oh my God, why would they do this? Like, was there a note or like, what, what's happening? And you basically get the lid reveal mm-hmm. where it's, we're coming for you. Yeah, absolutely. I love, I love that Homelander instantly recognizes that this is somebody very, very intelligent. This isn't somebody who stupidly killed, um, translucent. This is somebody that is effectively using this as an attack on the seven themselves. Uh, also have to say, I hate the deep. I've hated him since the first episode. Obviously, I love how badly he's being treated by this episode. He's like one of those old school 1920s magicians servants on the side. He's doing the <laughs> grand reveals. Like you did, you didn't even leave in the pauses there, Chris, when he's being asked, you know, what is the one thing I can't, can't see through? And he goes, th- goes zinc as if he's a little puppy that's gotten a question correct. And then Homelander asks him what the box is made of. And he, he pauses because he doesn't know. He still hasn't made the connection, even though he's been been teed up with the answer by Homelander. Homelander is the one that answers and said, it's made of zinc. And you see deep in the background going, oh, yeah, OK, that makes sense. Yeah. So he's being treated exactly as he should be. Absolutely terribly. So really enjoyed the scene there. Yeah, I must say when the deep's saying to uh, Stillwell as she walks in, Homelander's teeing him up and he goes, a, a good friend of mine. And he comes in with, it was a porpoise. It, mm-hmm. it did feel like a rocket raccoon moment um of it's real it was just really nicely delivered by homelander mm-hmm. uh, just to skewer 
this grouper uh, and put him on the barbecue, <laughs> uh, I thought was just really nice. It was that real moment of, don't even pretend you have friends. Your friends are talking animals that only talk to you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> I For me, I just love the, the, the rips on the deep, like you said. It's just mm-hmm. the callbacks to all of the adults swim, robot chickens slagging off of Aquaman. Mm-hmm. You you know part like you know Seth Rogen, it's this drips of his humor yeah. for me. And I was just so happy to see this scene as a whole and just the poor voice, just everything. Yeah. Um it's so weird because we saw an episode of, of Family Guy last night that had a, had a whole joke about Namora and Aquaman standing side by side and all the guys from Family Guy looking at Aquaman and going, why do they criticize you? At least you can talk to fish. This guy's just just strong underwater. Everybody's strong underwater. <laughs> so, <laughs> and yeah. he has wings on his and feet. And he has wings on his feet, exactly. <laughs> so it's an ongoing joke, definitely. But it does leave us in a really interesting position at mm-hmm. the end of this episode, which is they know the guys are out there now. Or yep. they know someone is out there. Yeah. Um. So it does make you wonder why... Why Butcher did this? Why he wrote that message? Mm-hmm. Um, and what's, what's it going to be about in the future? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think that's all for my outstanding moments. Uh, I'm trying to put in my uh, French accent, uh, as we go through the remaining of this podcast. Uh, okay, I'll stop because that's just terrible. But gentlemen, <laughs> do we have any notes, uh, from your side for this episode? Nothing major. I think the obvious note, we have to call it out, is just that Seth and Evan from marketing are Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. I do wonder, did they take anything from their pitch meeting uh, that they used to sell this show to Amazon Prime? Because these two guys, Seth and and Evan, who are describing the backstory of Starlight, they kind of do seem like they're coming from like, you know, community theater type type idea when when they're going, oh, and she gets to the big city and then she's attacked by bad guys in the big city. Not like it was in her hometown. Now she's revealing that she's got this brand new outfit. It really seemed like, like these guys were living for this moment where they get to sell their, their PR concept to the, uh, to the board of directors. Uh, so I don't know. It's a lovely little reference that they, that they use the two, uh, the two, um, original showrunners or the two people that brought this show, uh, to life effectively. Uh, as the names but um i'm not too sure about the two characters <laughs> um no i've just got one note um for race day huey's cover is a mild-mannered reporter mm-hmm. um i also have i suppose yeah it's notes but i, I suppose it's really it's just that realization that a train he really is weak and insecure as uh, a superhero mm-hmm. you know he doesn't even uh, you know and he's so selfish and self-centered you know he doesn't tell potclaw um what the fact that he hasn't cleared the engagement with stillwell and he doesn't remember huey when he bumps into him in um the the corridor of her apartment even though that's only two episodes ago uh and i don't think quite a long time has passed uh since then so I think it's three days isn't yeah it? it's you know, it's not that, that long when he's talking to to starlight that it's about three days of the past yeah. so i i just think it, you know he, he's constantly being worried that he'll be beaten by shockwave it's just that insecurity and weakness and for obviously of the superheroes so far i think maybe the deep probably suffers from similar kind of thing as well uh, but it's more from a bullied point of view he's kind of just like the dumb jock uh that can run fast um and, and the deep uh, suffers from small man syndrome yeah exactly yeah. Um, and the only other note is 
I'm still not entirely sure why Homelander doesn't hear these people at, at the stadium on race day. Uh, even if yeah. there is like a lot of chatter and all this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just interesting. Uh, but I get that's something that's probably leveled it. Oh, why can't Superman hear that? But it's, uh, yeah, I'm not too sure why you can't hear, but I don't really mind in that sense. Yeah. But it's just because I know your explanation was, well, he's got so many other things, but he is actually looking out for translucent in last episode. Yeah. And he was right on top of him. So I thought you would hear him, uh, react to translucent and Huey having that conversation before he blew up. Last uh, episode. Yeah. Episode two. Yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, I, I just, that's, that's the thing. And certainly because he has that moment with Billy Butcher mm-hmm. where he sees him staring at him, uh, yeah. as well. So I don't Beautifully know. Beautifully filmed scene, scene that I really like to, really like seeing the head just facing away yeah, from the exactly. big event that it, everybody's it, there for. Uh, very cool. It was a real cool moment, but yeah, he needs to get his hearing tested, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, I don't know whether we actually talked about it on the podcast. I think what we were saying was that he needs to focus on the thing he wants to listen to. If he wants to listen to people specifically talk about it, he has to aim himself towards something that he wants to hear because because that's what we saw in the Zack Snyder Superman movie, that Superman can become completely overwhelmed by all the voices in the world that he can suddenly hear. So I guess you work out a way to to manage how you deal with them individually. So he may not be able to hear every single conversation unless he focuses on a specific conversation that he wants to hear, I suppose, is the is the way they're probably managing it. Uh, Chris, any other notes for the episode? Uh, just a quick one for me, following on from um, the last two episodes. This episode is called Get Some, and that actually comes directly from the comic books, um, which was issue 7 to 10, which was the Come Get Some arc. Mm-hmm. There's some really great little things that they've done from a prop perspective, just to, to tie it back to the comic books. The first being the one that I really enjoy, which is the badass mug for Mother's Milk. Mm-hmm. Um, that's directly from the comic books. Excellent. And Excellent. it's his, it's his mug. Speaking of Mother's Milk, Chris, do you want to give us a little Chris's corner on Mother's Milk? Yes, yes. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Chris's Corner, the podcast within a podcast, where I'm going to talk to you about things that differ from the comic book of the boys to the TV show, uh, and also just give you a bit more details and things like that. Now, I'm going to talk specifically in this episode about Mother's Milk. Um, I'm not going to get too much into his backstory too much because I want to be careful about we're only three episodes in about what they may give us. But what I will tell you, Laz Alonso portrays a character obviously in this uh, version, uh, but in this uh, TV show, they're calling him Marvin, which we never learn his name in the comic books. Ah, um, Mother's Milk in the comic books appeared in issue two. Right at the beginning. Um, so he's there straight away. And the thing we learn about Mother's Milk in the comic books is that he really is this, um, uh, he's so methodical. He's strategic. Um, he, he's like, has a huge touch of OCD as well. So in the comic books, this is a great scene, which I hope they do, which is he gets super annoyed at anyone who doesn't put a drinks coaster under their glasses and freaks out at them. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping they take that. We learned that this is from his father who essentially taught, quote unquote, him that every angle and every means of attack must be studied before you do anything. Yeah. Um, 
his father did work for Vought in the comic books, Vought America. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would be interesting to see whether they take some of that. Um, and Mother's Milk, the name has a very, very particular rationale and reason in the comic books, which we don't learn to very late in the comic books. Mm-hmm. He's always just been called Mother's Milk. It's, it's almost like Frenchy is called Frenchy. It's just the name. Yeah. There's other characters in there that just have names. Um, and it's very weird. And I'm hoping they do some variation of it in this, mm-hmm. uh, because it would just be cool. But let's wait and see. Um, I'm thinking that Chris's Corner might get a, an extended section in our final uh, episode where I can go, here's what they didn't do mm-hmm. in case you want to know. And you can, so I'm not spoiling it for people. Excellent. Excellent. He's called Mother's Milk because his mother's call, called him Mother's Milk, right? Isn't that sure. why? No, I'm joking. I love sure. that reaction from Huey. I have to say, perfectly played as Huey just goes, is it because your mother tells you that? <laughs> love it where he's like, I'm not really too sure I get sarcasm here. <laughs> um, he has a family in the comic books. He, he has a daughter. So I'm hoping they may play that into it. And of the one difference that we actually get here is he says he did community work in the comic books, but we never see it. Mm-hmm. In this episode, we see the community work he does. Mm-hmm. And why he's doing it. So, and how it plays into his knowledge and understanding of a fixed kit, for example. Yeah. yeah. Um, so really interesting to see that difference. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the community work seemed really odd, didn't it? He seems to correct the kids. They all, while he's in the room, say, yeah, no problem, sir. Everything's no problem. That's absolutely fine. And the second he leaves, they're at each other's throats again. <laughs> <laughs> like, I love, I love that Billy calls it out, just kind of going, yeah, you're doing God's work here, man, aren't you? <laughs> Um, so yeah that was Mother's Milk as part of Chris's Corner if you have particular things you want Chris's Corner to cover in this podcast within a podcast please let me know remember to send it to feedback at tvpodcastindustry.com specifically go Chris's Corner call out and (laughs) I will look into it for you Uh, but this has been Chris's Corner thank you so much ladies and gentlemen back to your regularly scheduled programming so guys, uh what did you think of uh episode three, Get Some of the Boys, Derek? Yeah, I really enjoyed this episode. Another cracker of an episode. I think uh this these episodes have all been kind of equally good because all they're propelling me to do is watch more and I'm want to get to the end of the series now so I can go back and continue my my read through of the comic books. Um this has been really, really enjoyable. I'm kinda of glad we're able to kind of wait a week between each episode, but uh this is a cracker of a show and everybody's really on point. Uh really, really enjoying the introductions to the new cast. Uh loving how they're spacing it out as well. We didn't get all of the members of the boys in the first episode and all the members of the seven in the first episode. We're getting them spread really well. So we're getting their stories to kind of build on top of their characters as we go. So uh, overall, really, really good. Yeah. Chris, how about yourself? What do you think of this episode? Uh, I love it. it. It's great. It's really, it, it's exactly what I want from the pacing. Um, they're, they're not taking it too slow. They're not doing Basil exposition type scenes. Everything has made sense. It also feels like a new thing for me because it is different from the comic books. Mm-hmm. It's not a scene for scene, panel for panel adaption. Uh, I'll say the first arc. Uh, it's got enough changes in it that I'm, I'm going, Oh, I don't know what's happening. What's this going to be different? So I'm really enjoying that. It's, I'm coming in fresh, but my God, they're doing so many things so well. And I refer you back to my previous comment about watermelon. It was just hilarious and just, it's, it's gonna 
cause so many questions in the future. So let's wait and see where they go with it. Um, but yeah, really enjoying Get Some. Can't wait for episode four. John, what are you thinking about The Boys Season 1? Episode three, Get Some. Yeah, I, I loved it. Um, I'd give it four and a half manky roid heads out of five. Um, <laughs> and to be honest, there were so many phrases uh, that uh, I could have used here mm-hmm. from Billy Butcher. Uh, I do like his one-liners. Uh, whether it be from C4 packed right up his fudger to uh, a Sherlock Holmes reference, he mm-hmm. is absolutely uh, a stand-up comedian of great, great worth. Um, I love how he brings the uh, the boys together, but also is probably a little bit despised by them in their own particular way. Um, I love how this program uh, manages to talk about uh, really topical stuff or really, uh, interesting stuff about sort of the whole comic book industry in an irreverent, violent, sexual way, uh, which doesn't actually trivialize it. It really just brings it into sharp focus because on the one hand, it's serious. On another hand, it's massively funny or shocking or, or whatever. And I, I think the balance is just, at least for me, uh, works so well. I'm mm-hmm. sure, you know, uh, lighter, uh, dispositions would possibly disagree. But for me, um, yeah, I, I think this is really, really good. And I have to say, I think, uh, Huey's journey is, is massively interesting, uh, along with Homelander. Uh, and to be honest, I, I really, connected in uh to just the awfulness that is a train in this and (laughs) so i'm really interested just to see how more awful he can be Mm. to be honest um i I quite like to see his journey of just being a sniveling sort of uh washed up jock at some point which i suspect he will be absolutely you can tell i was a nerd at school (laughs) um but anyway uh moving on yeah, so I am really loving the boys for sure. Uh, and I, in particular, Get Some uh, is a great episode uh, for, for me. Uh, I think with that, on to Frenchie's Letters, our feedback section. Mm-hmm. First up, we have an email from Adam Bevel who said, Hello, boys. Just wanted to thank you for covering the show. It's great that you've a mix of people who have and haven't read the comics. It's good to see that both groups can enjoy it. As someone who has read them, I am loving the show so far. If I have one complaint so far, it would be that Butcher doesn't seem to have terror as a sidekick. I might write in after finishing the show if I have any final thoughts. But thanks again for covering it. Take care, Adam. Thank you so much, Adam. Yep, uh... Obviously, the coming from the man who's read it, I agree with you. Um, terror, we'll, we'll catch up with Terror maybe in the next couple of issues. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, it's interesting, actually, because as one of the people that hasn't read the comics, I am starting to read the comics, but making sure I don't go over um, the point in the show. Mm-hmm. So I've only read the first two issues, uh, where certainly we do get introduced to Terror. And I have to say, I think the uh, opening scene where he takes advantage of a little Westie or uh, Yorkshire Terrier, I think, um, certainly, uh, or maybe it was a Shih Tzu, I can't remember, but certainly uh, that would have been really funny. But you know what they say about working with animals and, and babies on, on a film or TV set? It's mm-hmm. really tough. <laughs> but uh yes, it would have been good to have seen 
terror, I think, at some point, and then, yeah, yeah kind of just have him off in the background. Absolutely. Hopefully we'll see him later on the show. Thanks so much for that, Adam. Yeah, I know thanks, Adam's, Adam. Adam's also joined us for our Pennyworth podcast as well, which you can find on tvpodcastindustries.com as well. Uh, over on our Facebook group, Kent O'Donnell says, I really enjoyed that, guys. Particularly like the idea of picking out your favourite boys moment and your favourite seven moment. One question, why try to do a PG-rated podcast about the sweariest comic on earth? Curse away! <laughs> yes, over to you, Derek. Yes, over to me. The reason why I took this piece of feedback, I did respond to it over Facebook as well. This is my fault, partly but also because of Apple. We have 412 episodes of our podcast so far. If I change the rating for this particular show, that changes the rating for all 412 of our podcasts. I bet TV shows like Agent Carter and like Gotham and like uh, Jessica Jones, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Suddenly, people under the age of 18 will either not be able to get access to them or think that they won't be able to listen to them. So unfortunately, we're going to have to keep this as PG as I possibly can keep it on the show. does mean occasionally I have to edit the guys down on their thoughts. Um, and sometimes we can't use quotes that I want to use for the show. But uh, hopefully you don't mind. Um, we're still hopefully able to describe what we want to talk about without going too sweary. Yes, Kent, we will try and change his mind. Uh, the the joy of technical operations uh, and how they limit you. Um, mm-hmm. But certainly I reckon with this show, if we did have the beep out, then it would sound like everyone's lost signal. Exactly. Just yeah. Beep, beep. Yeah. I, always find that on, I always find that on podcasts when people beep out words just to be really annoying because the whole point is that it's an audio environment. And you have if you have a beeping out every two to three seconds, which has happened on some of the things we've talked about over the last couple of episodes <laughs> that I've had to take out entire sentences to make uh, so that I didn't just beep every second word. So, um, so I didn't want to do that. I think it's a far better experience to be able to hear every word we say on the show. So, uh, so... That's my fault, Kent. All on me and a little bit on Apple and a little bit on Google and a little bit on Spotify. I think maybe we should use Cockney rhyming slang uh, as <laughs> as a stand-in for, um, yeah, for swearing. Only on Pennyworth, John. We can't use it on the boys. Hell, even the only Cockney on there isn't a Cockney. is from New Zealand. <laughs> ah, shit. <laughs> anyway, John, do you want to take the final piece of feedback? Yes, and Robert Phillips says, murkier and murkier. Homelander is a real piece of scum, isn't he? Best boys moment, the detective glint as mother's milk, quite creepy, staring at Popclaw, recognise the addict about to slide. Best seven moment, can't decide between Starlight trying to reject the swimsuit outfit and Xena Warrior Queen fighting off her sparring partners. (laughs) Best other moment, definitely the delight displayed in Popclaw getting exactly what she needed. And a little more, perhaps. (laughs) Yes, and Chris Jones's corner question. What was the event that took the Frenchman and Mr. Milk to decide never to speak to one another again? So I'll jump in here very quickly. Uh, that's that's going to be answered in upcoming episodes. I do know that, so I'm not going to spoil anything with that Chris's corner right now. But uh, watch the space, and if you have any more questions... Don't forget to write into Chris's Corner, the podcast within a podcast. Yes, if it's different <laughs> from what's um, on screen or what's in the comic books, maybe we'll have a, have a chat about that. But yeah, this kind of stuff where you see these characters fighting with each other um, and having problems with each other in the past, I'm guaranteeing all of that stuff. Everything from the CIA agent to the issues that Butcher has with the other characters, I think you're going to see all of that over the course of the next couple of episodes as we get to the end of the series. So uh, don't spoil anything just because we've read the comic books. And particularly if it's exactly the same as the comic books, spoiling the tension. By, by calling it out now might be a little bit early yeah thank you robert uh, for that for sure i mean yes mother's milk is uh i i, I like him mm-hmm. he, he's got uh he's got smarts about him um and homelander i have to say this is probably going to sound bad but i just think he's 
great. Like he's fantastic in terms of how he's portrayed uh, and so on. Obviously, stuff he's doing is pretty despicable. Mm-hmm. Certainly, um, you know. But I think he is. He's this great fixation point, and he's an absolute great um, undercut of Superman. I think that's why I love him so much, <laughs> uh, dare I say it. And Chris, maybe, because it sounds like a Russian doll, we could have John's bit in Chris's corner in The Boys <laughs> in Podcast. In boi- TV podcast industries. Yeah. And De- Derek's The Boys Podcast. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will jump in very quickly about the Maeve's sparring partners. Mm-hmm. Um, quite interestingly, they're not just her sparring partners in the comic books. They they spar in the ring, but also in the sheets. Um, so I'm, I'm very interested to see how they'll take that one. Yeah, that'd be interesting because that would kind of undercut the whole idea of Homelander not wanted to see her with anybody else, wouldn't it, if they brought that into yeah. the show? Interesting. Yeah, let's see how that plays out. Thanks so much for all the feedback on this episode. We'll be back with Frenchie's Letters feedback section next episode. Always great hearing your thoughts about these episodes. Make sure you send in your feedback to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. Uh, any thoughts that you have on the episodes, come over to Facebook to join us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash tvpodcastindustries or go to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com to leave us a voicemail. Next up, another episode of Pennyworth will be out on Monday and we'll be back with more of The Boys next Wednesday, every Wednesday from now on. Yes, and the one we'll be back for will have you all humming in your heads because episode four is the female of the species is she more deadly than the male who knows tune back in on wednesday but my god people read that episode description Mm -hmm. because it sounds good john with your best synopsis voice give us the description and as it reads sure on a very special episode of The Boys, an hour of guts, gutter balls, airplane hijackings, madness, ghosts, and one very intriguing female. Oh, and lots of heart, both in the sentimental sense and in the gory, literal sense. <laughs> the female of the species Fantastic. is more deadly than the male. Than the male. Everybody's <laughs> going to sing that song, I think. <laughs> exactly, it'll make Excellent. a comeback. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you again next time. Yes, thank you so much, and we'll see you again soon. Yes, thank you, boys and girls, for joining us. It's a pleasure, as always. I'm off to go and smother someone with a Hello Kitty duvet. But once the bedsheets are washed and I'm back snuggled up in Hello Kitty, uh, we'll be back to speak with you again soon. Bye.